Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Wisdom Awakening. My goodness gracious, I did it again. Welcome to another edition of E.W. Jackson for America. You know what? I'm going to have to put a great big sign in front of me. It's E.W. Jackson for America. I had that all in my mind to say, too. I guess I just went on automatic pilot. But welcome to another edition of E.W. Jackson for America. In fact, since I, I made that mistake, it gives me an opportunity to talk a little bit about why I did this. See, I really believe that our country is in profound trouble, profound trouble, and that the problem in our country is really not so much economic. There are symptoms of the problems that are very serious, our economic problems, the inflation, the, the shortages, uh, the potential for food shortages and fuel shortages, the, 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 the open border, which is allowing people to just flood into the country. It's the equivalent of an invasion. Uh, obviously, the crime that is just running rampant across the country now. We just had three students killed at the University of Virginia. We had uh, four students killed, I think it was at the University of Iowa. Uh, the three killed in University of Virginia were shot. The four killed in Iowa were stabbed to death or there's some kind of sharp instrument. It wasn't a gun. Four of them killed, which again just goes to show the problem is not the instrument. The problem is the evil in the human heart. And then you've got the massive debt that we're under right now as a country, which nobody really talks much about these days, but is a sword of Damocles hanging over our heads, all of us. And you've got, obviously, the level of, of breakdown of law and order, the lawlessness. Uh, I'm not talking about on the streets now. I'm talking about in, in the prosecutor's offices, in the, the Justice Department, in the FBI, where law enforcement now seems to be focused on political agendas rather than focused on law enforcement and maintaining the safety and security of the American people. You've got all this transgender stuff that has now found its way not only into the military, bad enough, into the military. What in the world? It's obviously in the colleges and universities, but it's found its way into the elementary schools. They're trying to ply young children starting at ages three years old with this craziness. Now, with all of that, you have this critical race theory this anti-American, anti-God mentality that has taken root in our country, uh, which, which is really a kind of counterfeit truth and counterfeit history. It's, I mean, these are lies and deceptions that are intended to divide us, demoralize us. They are intended to delegitimize the country. Uh, they are intended to, to, frankly, fundamentally transform the nation make people so disgusted with what we've got that they say, you know, we got to have something different. This is not working. America is not working. It's racist. It's white supremacist. It's not working. We have to we have something else. Now, all of these, in my view, are symptoms of a, of a much deeper problem. And the deeper problem is that America and Americans have forgotten the center of gravity for our country. And the center of gravity for our country is God. He is the center of gravity for our country. 
he is what congeals the nation, what holds the nation together. We don't have an official religion in America. And I don't want one. Do you? No, I don't want an official religion. But the cultural reality of our country is that we are a Christian nation. We were rooted and grounded and founded in, in Christian principle. Faith in God was always at the center of our founding fathers' thinking. I mean, the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident. All men are created, not evolved, created equal and endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The Constitution was written to secure the blessings of liberty, the blessings of liberty, which is what the Declaration enunciates. Those are the blessings of liberty, the blessings that come from Almighty God. The, the, the Constitution secures those blessings. Benjamin Franklin stood up in the Constitutional Convention when they had reached an impasse and they weren't sure which way to go. And he said, the longer I live, the more convinced I become of this truth that God governs in the affairs of men. That if a sparrow cannot fall from the sky, neither can an empire rise without his notice, neither can an empire rise without his aid. So we read in the, in the sacred scriptures, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. He said, I believe this. He said, and I also believe that without his concurring aid, we will be no more successful in this building than they were in building the Tower of Babel. And by the way, Ben Franklin is considered one of the least religious of our founding fathers. But that was their orientation. That was where they were coming from. That was all, that was all they knew. That was, their, that was the cultural milieu in which they lived, in which they had been born. You take that away and you've destroyed America as we know it. And there are forces that are seeking to take that away. And since my organization stands, staying true to America's national destiny is dedicated to bringing Americans together across racial and cultural lines to uphold our Judeo-Christian values and to, to foster constitutional governance and personal and individual liberty and personal responsibility, those principles that made America great, bring us together around those principles. I realized that I needed to dedicate my podcast to saving America. In fact, my church has a threefold mission, save souls, save families, save the nation. Saving this country is, is it is a core value for me. It, it, is, it is part of what I really believe is God's calling on my life, saving this country. And so E.W. Jackson for America was born of the sense that I've got to do everything I can while I can, as long as I'm on this earth, to try to advance the cause of saving America. And I thought that that right now, because I've got vision awakening for my preaching and teaching, but I thought that that was what the podcast ought to be dedicated to, saving America. So, so hence, E.W. Jackson for America. I am for this country. Uh, now, here again, people will call this Christian nationalism and all this nonsense. Let, here, let me just explain this to you. And I, I do want to get to, oh, I got a couple of announcements to make, and I do want to get to the, the, the main subject for today. This is kind of a prelude, which, since I missed, 
referred to the program mistakenly, which I'm going to try not to do again. <laughs> so you all pray for me. Uh, but I've been doing it that way for a couple of years, so it's going to take a little bit of a transition. But I, I wanted to, to have a program that would allow me to talk to you all about, by the way, I've got a new book coming out, um, Sweet Land of Liberty, Reflections of a Patriot Descended from Slaves. And I thought that that, that book, I, I don't want to tell you how many years I spent writing that book, but that book really expresses my love for this country and my determination, my commitment, my conviction that America is one of the greatest gifts God has ever given to any people um, and that we've got to preserve it. We've got to defend it. We've got to make sure that America remains the land of the free and the home of the brave. And that's, that's what we've been. That's what we've been. And so that was the, the, the genesis for E.W. Jackson for America, because I am for this country. I believe that's an anointing and a calling that God has on my life. And of course, I'm going to always bring the word of God into it because I am first and foremost a child of God, a Christian, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so everything I say and do is based upon my biblical worldview. My love for this country is based on a biblical worldview. Let me let me hit this this one issue. I started to get to it and got and veered away from it. Christian nationalism. First of all, let's be clear about something. There's nothing wrong with nationalism. Nationalism can be healthy, meaning that it's, it's based on the notion that we owe our first responsibility to our own country. We are our first responsibility to our own people and that we should be doing everything we can to, for, to, to assure the health and well-being, the prosperity, the safety, the security of our own people first. That is our responsibility as citizens of this great nation. That's the responsibility with which we charge our political leaders, our public officials. And it's perfectly appropriate, it's perfectly healthy. Now, when people use the term Christian, it gets unhealthy when it becomes like Hitler, which is, it is really a nationalism that says, us and only us, and we want to dominate and subjugate and enslave the world, and we hate everybody else, and nobody else matters but us. Oh, that's, that's unhealthy. But you see, the left doesn't have any ability to distinguish between the two. They see it as all just one thing. So you say nationalism for them, they, they conjure up Hitler, because the fact of the matter is most of these leftists are really not very sophisticated thinkers because that's not what they focus on. They focus on feelings. They don't focus on thought. They don't focus on logic. They don't focus on facts. They don't focus on truth. They focus on feelings. They feel a certain way. Christian nationalism is a canard that they use to try to suggest that we Christians who love our country are some, <coughs> excuse me, somehow like Hitler, and we want to, if we're xenophobic, we hate foreigners, we want to, and here again, it's all just their polemic. And really what, it's, what, it's, what it says is their antipathy for the country is so great that when they meet people who love the country, it offends them. I need to repeat that because that, that's, that's a powerful statement. It's right off the Holy Ghost presses. When they meet people who love the country because they have such antipathy for America, it offends them. They don't like it. They don't like you. They don't like me. So they come up with this Christian nationalism for us Christians 
who love America because we believe America is a gift that God gave to the American people. And, and frankly, the success of our country, as far as I'm concerned, is evidence of the blessing of Almighty God. You can't become the greatest nation on earth when you're only 4% of the population by doing everything wrong. You must be doing something right, and we have been. We've been doing something very right. We've assured individual liberty, freedom for every single American. And no, it didn't happen immediately with the founding of the country because we had a whole history behind us that had to be overcome. But we've basically overcome that. And every individual in this country is free. I don't care what anybody says. Every individual in this country is free. Free to chart the course of your own life. Free to do what you want to do. Are there obstacles? Of course there are, because that's life. It's the nature of a fallen world. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, I believe it's 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there's no uh, temptation which has befallen you, but such as is common to man. There are all kinds of problems we're going to face that are common to man. And every problem and every issue that somebody faces is not the result of racism and, and misogyny and, and sexism and, what, and, and whatever. Whatever isms and phobias the left conjures up to make themselves feel superior and make everybody else feel inferior. So, I, yeah, if you want to call me a Christian nationalist, I don't care because I know what that means to me. I love all people. I love people from India. I love people from Pakistan. I love people from China. I love people from North Korea, South Korea. I love people from Vietnam. I love people from Africa. I love people from Australia. I love everybody. They're, they're, I, don't, I don't hate any people based on where they live, where they come from, who they are. No. God loves them. I love them. But I don't have an obligation to all those people. I have an obligation to my own country. When I stood in a Marine Corps office and took an oath to the Constitution of the United States, I wasn't taking an oath to the world. I was taking an oath to the Constitution of the United States of America. That I would preserve, protect, and defend it, our Constitution, our country, our people, against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Well, is that nationalism? Well, no, of course not. It's, it's, it's common sense. It's part of your mission. I mean, imagine joining the military. Now, we don't want you all focused on America. You got you to think of yourselves as servants of the world. Well, see, that's, that's where uh, Klaus Schwab and George Soros and, and the World Economic Forum and, and, and a bunch of these other people, that's where they want us to go. They want us to, to see ourselves not as anything special, not as any special country, not as any sovereign nation. They want to see ourselves as simply part of the world community, and they want us to subsume ourselves under this one world system that they have in mind with themselves at the head of it, no doubt. So this program was created to help strengthen and uplift and encourage America. So I said the center of gravity for our country is God. And without God, America doesn't work. America, as we know it, cannot continue to exist if God is rejected. So let me get to, I'm going to make a couple of announcements and I'll get to my subject. Uh, I want to remind you all that on, uh, on Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, we're holding our Youth Taking a Stand rally. Our Youth Taking a Stand rally. By the way, I don't know whether you noticed, but the Cardinal of the Washington, D.C. Archdiocese has canceled the Youth for Life rally that takes place, I think, the day before the March for Life. Now, why? No explanation given. 
but this is the same cardinal who has been providing uh, the sacraments to these pro-abortion candidates and, and, uh, and office holders, and it said, you know, we're not the police, blah, 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 blah. No, no, ministers are not the police, but we are upholders of the sacred doctrines of God's word, and we don't put our imprimatur on people who are in violation of it, period. I mean, so for example, in my church, I don't question people, but if, if you came to my church and I served communion and I knew that you were shacking up or I knew that you were living a homosexual lifestyle or I knew that you were a drug dealer, I would, I would not serve you communion. I'd caution you not to take it because the Bible cautions against treating the body of Christ lightly, and that's what that's doing, because you are not in right relationship with God if you're living that way. And that's not me being police. That's me being a steward of the sacred responsibility that God has given me to shepherd his people. And if I make no distinction between those who are walking in darkness and those who are walking in the light, those who are seeking to do God's will and those who are doing the opposite, if I make no distinction, then what's the point? What, what, what is the point of the church? Who does the church represent? Apparently nobody. Because everybody can do whatever they want to do. What, does, what difference does it make? Whether his cancellation of the Youth for Life rally is a reflection of the softening on the issue of life and on the issue, basically, of the church's responsibility to take a moral stand, I don't know. But I'm not Catholic. My Catholic friends... Catholic friends, my Catholic friends, I mean, I'm sure there are other Catholics who think differently, believe that this is not even, the Pope, Pope Francis is not even a legitimate Pope. I'll tell you what I believe. I don't believe that Pope Francis knows God. I don't believe that Pope Francis has a clue about God. I think Pope Francis is a leftist who's just doing the leftist thing. And he's trying not to offend uh, the, the, the Catholic masses by, by demonstrating just how leftist, how radical he is. I don't think he's pro-life at all. I don't even think he's pro-marriage. I, I, I don't think he cares about any of that. I think he's got a Marxist worldview, and that's what he cares about. And that's filtering down into all of the, of the, the church and the people who he is influencing. Catholic Church is going to be better off when he's off the scene and hope that, you'll get a, hope that they get a pope like Pope John Paul, who was, and, and I, I really believe John Paul was a man of God, a man who knew God, loved God, and had a relationship with God, and was trying to govern himself and the church, the Catholic church, based on that. But here's what I want to get to. So the Catholic church then seems to be softening a little bit based on that. Now, that doesn't mean Catholics in general. That just means the Catholic Church hierarchy, okay? Because of this Pope, the Cardinal. See, he must have gotten some word from somebody. Yeah, just, just dispense with that. The United Methodist Church is, is right now facing a split because not only now are they marrying homosexuals, marrying two people, and by the way, they say they, they, they ban that, but they're doing it. United Methodist preachers are doing it because... If you're going to, they're ordaining homosexuals. They're ordaining lesbians and homosexual men and transgenders. If you're going to ordain those people, do you think that those people are not going to take 
and blaspheme the sacred ceremony of marriage and apply it to two men, two women, or, or two or three or four or five or whatever they call themselves, because at this point I've lost track. Binary, non-binary, gender fluid. I, I mean, it's just cisgender, two-spirit. I mean, this stuff is just utterly ridiculous. It really is. But the United Methodist Church is going along with it. And here's what I want to get to. The future of America lies in the church. The future of America lies in the church. If America is to survive, to thrive, to prosper, to have a future, the church must rise up and be the church. The church must stop being mealy mouthed. The church must stop backing down. The church must stop going along with all this godlessness. Now, others brought it up, so I'm going to continue with it. So the church cannot model itself after Andy Stanley's church. It cannot model itself after um, Joel Osteen's church. It cannot model itself after T.D. Jake's church. It cannot model itself after Creflo Dollar's church. These, these preachers have sided with, with godless, pro-abortion, pro-same-sex marriage, uh, every ungodly thing you can think of, these people go along with, and then they come into the church, and the church, the, the, the pastor or the priest or whatever, gives these people their imprimatur. All they're doing, when they do that, and please hear me well, because I'm not trying to pick on those particular ministers, because they certainly aren't the only ones. 75% of the churches in America no longer believe the Bible is the word of God, and of those who claim, the 25% who claim to believe the Bible is the word of God, like Creflo Dollar, for example, I'm sure he would say that probably, maybe, maybe T.D. Jakes would, maybe Andy Stanley would, maybe Joel Osteen would, I don't really know. But for those who actually believe it, only 10% of those are willing to, act, to stand on it and apply it to the issues of the day. To stand up in the pulpit and say, wait a minute, um, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 30, verse 19 says, I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that you and your seed may live. They're not going to say that. They're not going to say that what that scripture says, abortion is wrong. It is, it is wrong in the sight of God because that scripture says very, very clearly, choose life that you and your seed, your descendants may live. Not choose abortion so that your descendant will die. And that's not a suggestion, it's a command. But how many preachers will stand up in the pulpit and read that and say, that's what that means. And if you do anything else other than that, you are, you are violating the word of God and you are rebelling against the authority of Almighty God and the command of Almighty God. How many will say that? Precious few. And yet it's quite obvious, isn't it? I mean, how much more obvious can God be? I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days. 
that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them. In other words, there's a whole blessing that comes along with obeying this commandment. That means there's a whole curse that goes along with disobeying it. The church has got to become the church, has got to be the church, has got to do the will of God and speak the will of God and not pander to and, and placate and appease the forces of the world. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable for, to God, for this is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. Good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We're not supposed to be conforming to what the world thinks, what the world wants. The only thing a Beta O'Rourke, a Stacey Abrams, somebody of that ilk could do in my church is sit there and listen and, and get the devil cast out of them and get saved. But you couldn't get in my pulpit to say anything because there's nothing for you to say. You don't know God. You don't know his word. And the pulpit is for proclaiming God's word. And the pulpit is for people who are anointed and called to do that. Now, I've had politicians in my pulpit. I had um, uh, Representative Bob Good, but Representative Bob Good is a man of God. He's anointed by God for the service that he's performing for this country in the United States Congress. And I'm honored to have him stand in my pulpit. But these blasphemers like Stacey Abrams, who says basically the sonogram is just that's a trick to control the bodies of women. What kind of heartless person are you? But Jesus said in Matthew 19, 4, have you not read? In fact, he was answering a question about divorce, but here's what he said. Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? Now that's as clear as it gets. He didn't make 172 genders. Jesus said he made them male and female. Now these people say different. What they're telling you is that Jesus is a liar and believe them. I'll, I'll stop there with that. Let me, because I'm, I'm almost out of time. So let me, let me close with this. You see, an awakening, which I really believe has already begun. We're only seeing the seedlings of it. But an awakening doesn't require only prayer. Prayer is, is critically important because I think prayer seeds the ground and, 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 and plows up the, the fallow ground. I think prayer prepares the ground. But there's got to be an unequivocal, unabashed, uncompromising proclamation of the truth of God's word in order for revival to happen. You remember in the revival that Josiah presided over? 
uh, Josiah, uh, Josiah presided over? It happened because they began to read the word of God and came under conviction. And then he sent the Bible out, the word of God out to be read to the people. And as the people heard the word and realized how far they were from it, they began to repent in sackcloth and ashes. They wept. And the nation was born again in a sense. I mean, people came back to their senses. They realized we've been doing all this stuff that's wrong. We've got to come back to doing the word of God. Well, if you got churches that won't even proclaim the word of God, you know, preachers want to run around and hoop and holler all for about an hour, or, or they want to tell you, I'm okay, you're okay, we're okay, we're all okay. Think positive, it'll be great. Or they wanted to try to be so profound, I'm so much into the word, but then when it comes down to where the rubber meets the road, they're not willing to distinguish between good and evil, between right and wrong. It's all a charade. <clears throat> In fact, let me, let me go to this text, because I, I, the Spirit of God just, just led me to go to this text, because it is important. It's in Ezekiel chapter 22. And beginning at verse 30, it says, So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me in behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. Now notice this. Make a wall. You know what that wall is? That wall is the clear unequivocal line between good and evil, right and wrong, God and the devil. So I look for a man who would make a wall. And then from that wall, there is a gap because the people on the wrong side of that wall want to stand back and criticize the wall and say, well, you know what? I don't agree with that. And I don't, you just because you say abortion is wrong. I don't buy that says, stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land and say to the land, well, I don't care what you think. This wall is right because this wall is based on the word of God. And you better come on over to my side because the side you're on is set for destruction. And God says, in behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. Well, he found the someone and that someone is Jesus Christ. But now I would say God is continually looking for pastors who will do just this. And he's not finding many. I'm not the only one. I don't have an Elijah complex. I'm not the only one. But there aren't enough. There aren't enough. We need more. If you're a pastor listening to me right now, it's time for you to stand up to step up, to speak up, and refuse to back up. I always say that at the end of the program, but I'll tell you what, it's true. It's absolutely true, particularly for you pastors. Stop worrying about the size of your church. Stop worrying about how many people might leave if they get offended and who's going to stop tithing and all of that. You leave all that in the hands of God. Your job is to be faithful. God's not impressed with the size of a church. It depends on what the church represents. 
And even then, he's not impressed with the size. He's impressed with the quality. I've met pastors with big churches who are on the word of God and God bless them. So it's this is not a criticism of bigness by any stretch of the imagination. I don't have a big church, but I praise God for those pastors who've got big churches and lots of resources to do lots of stuff. And, and every pastor wants their church to grow. I'm talking about those pastors who trade truth for size and budget. That's what I'm talking about who say, well, I'm not going to say that because I might lose some people and I got this big plan over here and, and all your plans are of no consequence to God. They're of, of no interest to him because they're not built on the word of God and built on the truth of God and built on faithfulness to God. When you're doing it that way, Jesus said, you're building your house on a rock and when the, the storms come and the floods come and the rain beats and the wind blows, it's not going to fall because it's founded on a rock. And if the church refuses to be the church, and it doesn't have to be all of them, but there's got to be a remnant that will stand up and be what God called us to be. That's the, that's the only hope there is for America, my brothers and sisters, that's it. Because if we don't tell the truth, if we don't call our fellow citizens to the truth, who's going to do it? Joe Biden, he can't do it. Donald Trump, as much as I respect him, he can't do it. It's got to be the church of the living God that does it. God can use a politician, no question about it. But the church needs to be the bulwark. And so... If you belong to a church where the pastor won't speak about the issues of the day, you belong to a church where he won't read that scripture I just read you in Deuteronomy 30, 19 and say, that's what God says. That's what made, makes abortion wrong. He won't read to you, uh, is, uh, uh, what did I just read? I think Matthew chapter 14 and tell you what God said about male and female and say, and anything else is a lie. And he won't stand up flat-footed and tell you that the Democrat Party has gone wholly into idolatry. Because it has. It has. Every godless thing you can imagine, that's what they believe and that's what they want. Well, you got a bunch of churches that are right there with them. So-called churches anyway. We've got to stand up for the truth of God's word if we're going to have a country that we pass on to my grandchildren, your grandchildren, that is free and prosperous and, and, and righteous because it's blessed by almighty God. So my brothers and sisters, I wanted to share that with you today because that's what's been on my mind. Not a politician, not who's running for president, but what the church has to do. If the church will do what it's supposed to do, the rest is going to fall into place. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. God bless each and every one of you. I already said it, stand up, step up, speak up, refuse to back up because we cannot be defeated if we will not quit. And you keep that in mind in light of what happened in this last election. We cannot be defeated if we will not quit because we are on God's side.